This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. How to develop an appetite for Bible study. Have you ever went to the Bible and found as you were studying it that you were bored? or you didn't quite understand how to make sense of it? Have you ever found yourself feeling guilty because you were interested in other things in the world, like watching TV or reading books, but then it comes to the Bible and here you are a Christian and you can't read past five or six verses without yawning and falling asleep? Here's the deal. We just need to learn how to study the Bible. Dr. Paul Little once said, studying the Bible is like eating peanuts. Once you get started, you're hooked. Well, I would say it's kind of like eating Cadbury mini eggs. Once you get started, you're hooked. I have found with the proper training, with knowing how to approach the scripture, that it has given me a passion to study God's word. On one occasion, somebody went up to R.C. Sproul and said, boy, when I hear you teach the Bible, you really make the Bible come alive. And he responded by saying, no, the Bible makes me come alive. When you study the Bible, it gives you life. It animates you. And I would encourage you to study the Bible, not to just study the Bible, but to know the God of the Bible, to know the Lord. And so if we're going to get a heart set on studying the Bible, let's first get our hearts set on loving God and wanting to know Him, because it's in the Bible where we get to know the God of the Bible. And if we'll believe within those pages, there's life transformative truth and a God to be known, then it will enhance our desire to go to the Bible as the greatest book ever given to mankind. We are bringing a bold statement about Christ. He's our only hope to face the darkness in our day. Thanks for joining us for the City Sites Podcast. Today I want to talk about the concept the Bible uses to identify desires. Romans 16:18 says, For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetite. They deceive the hearts of unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. That's, of course, the Apostle Paul writing that. Appetite is defined as a natural desire to satisfy a bodily need. It is a strong desire or liking for something like an unquenchable appetite for life. Well, let me just illustrate just a few of the appetites that we try to satisfy. Wealth, significance, pleasure, power, competition, evil, and of course there's many, many, many more. But there's always something that we have in our being that is like an appetite that we have when we're hungry. We want to satisfy it. And when that satisfaction doesn't happen with one appetite, we go to another. These types of pursuits are fueled by the appetite for more, bigger, better, all in the pursuit of happiness. Satisfying the need for God by an appetite for something that will never produce happiness, but they pursue it. Sean Morrison from Good in the Hood is with me today for a conversation about appetites. Now, I know, Sean, that you have an appetite. I've Mm -hmm. seen you at lunch, (laughs) and you have an appetite. I like to eat, Larry. (laughs) (laughs) But today we're going to talk about appetites in another fashion. The appetites that we develop in our lives 
lifestyles and our lives that replace God. And those Mm -hmm. appetites are things that are not going to produce the happiness that we are in pursuit of. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no no doubt. And appetites are an interesting thing. Of course we have them, and as you referenced, we need to control them. We need to keep them under a kind of a, I like to say, harnessed. And uh, they can be used for good, but they often are used for selfish desires. And there's three Ps I always like to say when we think of appetites. It's pleasure, it's passion, and it's poverty. Now, a lot of people would say, well, passion, that's good. Actually, it says in the Bible, it says passion rots your bones. It's uh, The reason I say that is it's about instant gratification. And poverty, it isn't the cause of poverty, but often those who are poor don't have any choice but to deal with things out of a crisis mode, which is instant gratification. They don't have the power to plan. Mm-hmm. They don't have the power to wait and delay mm-hmm. their uh, gratification because they're always at a point where they feel like they're drowning in a lack of resources. Right. So we have, you know, Pleasure, that usually when we have the God of pleasure on the throne of our heart, we end up into instant gratification. And that's a, that's feeding an appetite that will go in the wrong direction. Now, on the other hand, those who can practice patience, they all start with P. Mm-hmm. Uh, patience, perseverance, they leads to prosperity. Now, it's not an instant, you know, get rich quick, and it's not even about wealth. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about prosperity of soul, prosperity mm-hmm. of life. And when we do things with a delayed gratification, which is what God talks about all through Scripture, maybe he doesn't use that word, but the framework of Scripture is all about do good and wait and the harvest will come. Cast your bread in the water, it'll come back to you. That's makes the difference for somebody who maybe has an appetite that is not under control. They usually are someone who's a victim of their own choices, which is usually around instant gratification. Well, that's really good thinking there, Sean Morrison, because the Gallup poll people, they asked Americans recently, how are they feeling about different aspects of life and policy issues for the last two decades? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And this year, across those 29 different measurements that they use, just 38% of Americans say they're satisfied. Suicides are up, drug addiction continues to plague the land, yet in a highly productive country like the United States, we actually rank 16th Mm -hmm. in happiness. When you think (laughs) that we've got all the prosperity, all the opportunity to pursue happiness in this country, yet we're 16th in the world. You know which uh, country is the number one? Uh, I don't. Take a guess. Uh, You've never been there, but you were close to it one time. Oh, okay. Italy. No. (laughs) (laughs) I just took one random out of the hat because I like Uh, Italian food. (laughs) uh, Well, yes, and that makes you happy, right? It's unsatisfying an appetite. No, no, it's Finland. Oh, I would have never guessed that. Finland has been number one, the happiest people according to the survey. And again, I'm I'm reiterating America's 16th. So what do you think is going on? Well, I don't know fully what's going on in all the things, but I think one aspect of it is when you have abundance and and particularly abundance that you didn't achieve, like it's just handed to you, you get entitled Yeah. and you become miserable. You become sick and tired of being sick and tired. You become, it's almost like in scripture where, you know, they talk about the manna rotted if they collected a day early, if they hoarded. When you hoard resources or you hoard things because you're afraid, it doesn't satisfy. Mm-hmm. It makes you, you know, you try and experience everything, you hoard, you got too much, and you become depressed because there's nothing more to experience. Mm. And I think that's why we often see those who are maybe wealth wealthier, 
the kids of those who are wealthier, they have so much, it's just been given to them, and they often become fatalistic, they kill themselves. Yeah. They, they, I think their incident ratio of suicide is much higher than somebody who doesn't. And it's interesting, we have to have purpose. We have to be striving for something good and something noble. We feel good about ourselves when we've achieved. And again, it goes back to a bit of that instant gratification. Achievement means you put in the work first and you get the benefit, the blessing later. Mm-hmm. When you don't have that, you become miserable. You become like a person who has passion. You, you rot your bones. It rots you slowly and pretty soon you just feel miserable. You, it's mm-hmm. like eating too much candy. Eventually you get a sick stomach. Yeah. And I think it's the same kind of thing. We eat too much proverbial candy in life. Right. Well, it's interesting that uh, in Proverbs 23, 2, it says, and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Mm-hmm. Now, another version yeah. talks about appetite as being gluttony, but it means excessive desires or greedy. Yeah. And and of course, I think prosperity does that, right? Yeah. You want to protect what you've worked hard for yeah. or you got easily, whatever, but you want to protect it yeah. and you become very selfish oriented. Yeah. And, and prosperity, I, I think it's key to define it here. The, the prosperity, not of soul, but prosperity right. where you just have stuff, mm-hmm. too much. And rather than being someone who's going, I have a lot of stuff and I'm going to give it away with a noble purpose, we start to hoard it. And hoarding always leads to mis- being miserable. And so I think gluttony is a form of hoarding food. Yeah. We, we, and it's based out of fear, mm-hmm. as a foundation that is not based in faith that God will resupply whatever you give out. He says, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, running over. Men will give into your bosom. Right. Uh, and it's not even God who gives it. He says, men will do it. It'll come from all directions because when you love people the way God does, you will have many people feel a love for you because they feel like you just love and love kind of comes back to us. It boomerangs back to us in a good way but just the opposite of fear when you have a, when you manifest fear mm-hmm. um, everybody flees from you because you're you're a person they don't they don't feel secure around and so I think in the same way resources that's what happens we if we just hoard we manifest fear and everybody flees from us you know Dennis Prager who is a nationally syndicated uh, author and radio talk show host he always talks about happiness mm-hmm. but he talks about it in terms of joy not happiness like what we normally yeah. think he said most people are pursuing happiness, which that never was given to us by God, but joy was. And joy goes a lot deeper and yeah. has roots to it that happiness doesn't. So here's the question. Does the pursuit of happiness automatically produce this excessive behavior that you're talking about? Does yeah. it? Well, I think so. Joy is fulfillment. It's satisfaction. It's a mature way to manage all the things that God has given you in your life. Happiness, of course, there's probably different definitions. I don't know the Webster's Dictionary, but whenever I think of happiness, it always feels like it's around a moment or just a situation. It feels situational, momentary, not lasting. Joy is something comes from within. Happiness comes from without. You know, that's very interesting. King Solomon said that, actually. He said, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. So it's a temporary thing. When you eat food, there's a happiness, right? There's something flavorable. But as soon as you swallow it, (laughs) it's over. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, we love desserts. We were just in Greece oh, recently, yeah. you and yeah, I, and, that's and right. uh, boy, the desserts were eye-popping. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, we ate a little baklava or whatever we ate, and we enjoyed it for a moment. And then next day, we're craving it again. Yeah, It didn't satisfy, and it was good for the moment, not long-term. Food is a picture of life in so many ways mm-hmm. in the area of desire and appetites. And so, yes, I think it can have an appetite, but it cannot rule us. We must rule it you know, from the perspective of the kingdom of God. 
Well, today we're talking about appetites and how appetites that people have, that they think that by having satisfying an appetite, they're going to find happiness. Well, that's just not the truth. In fact, greed in any form is wrong. Greed is oftentimes a form of appetite. Mm -hmm. and, and greed defined as a desire, an appetite for having an unsatiable desire for more, comes in many forms. Food is a treasure in America, and it's obvious because, in fact, America America lives in obesity. 42% of Americans are obese. Now, I don't know exactly how they define obesity, but I think it's more than 10 or 20 pounds, something like that. But 42%, yeah, that's fine. almost half, Sean. Yeah. We just don't understand how this obsession we have for pleasure is really affecting us physically. Well, imagine if we didn't have all the fitness gurus and the diet nutritionists around us, we'd even be probably at 80%. But thank God we have that. But you're right, this obsession, and it's, it's food is one manifestation of that, but we want more. Yes. And we are trying to get more from an external level rather than more of God, more of God's love. And we, we need to find our security and our fulfillment in Him. When we're relationally secure, everything gets better. Everything mm -hmm. flows forth from that. When we're relationally insecure, we strive, we try to get, we try to protect our vulnerabilities. And what ends up happening is we hoard. We hoard food. We hoard anything that is, there's a hole or a vacuum in our soul. We're trying to hoard and fill it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it could be sex. It could be gossip. You know, I always like to say gossip is like verbal lust. We're, mm -hmm. we're, we want the juicy details about somebody's life because we're missing some spot in our life mm -hmm. that that fills. And uh, but when we're secure, in God, we find our fulfillment. One, somebody once said it this way, God didn't give us all things that we might enjoy life. He gave us life so we can appropriately enjoy all things. I think that puts it in perspective. Life from him comes first. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think of the billionaires that we see. We're seeing more billionaires today than ever. When we were growing up, it was millionaires. Today, it's billionaires. They'll never spend that kind of money. Even if you spend a million dollars a day on what, I don't know. But even if you did, you couldn't spend a billion dollars in your lifetime. Yet we have billionaires coming out our ears and you wonder, well, what are they doing with all of their money? It's a hard thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's a greed and it's, a, it's an ego-centric thing, which again is filling that appetite. I want to have more. I want people to think well of me. And yeah. That's the thing about the kingdom of God. The beauty of the kingdom is this. We accept Christ and we think we're losing our lives. Ultimately, we're giving him our life. We're entrusting our life to him, but all of his resources become ours. Yes. We're, we now become the bride of the King of Kings, a child of God. We become royalty with the inheritance. Mm -hmm. But what he requires of us is this, Larry. He says, you must trust me, give yourself up, and trust me, mm -hmm. with, without knowing all that he has, maybe. You may be doing it somewhat ignorantly, but, but then knowing that he's so good, he will do more than you expect. But most of us, we don't trust. Therefore, we try to grab for whatever we can, and it becomes like a line that's pushing to get to the front. And you and I experienced this when we were on the recent trip. Everybody's trying to get on the boat first and pushing and shoving in the airplane and, and so forth. But nobody trusts that mm -hmm. they're going to get their place and they're going to have their seat and they're going to have room for their luggage because we think we got to grab ours. Mm -hmm. But when we trust God, he takes care of those areas 
where we feel we would otherwise lack. It's beautiful how he does this. It is. And one of the things that I have learned to appreciate the last couple of years especially is the word self-awareness because, you know, so much of the time we don't, we always see the speck in the other guy's eye, right? But we don't always see the log in our own eyes, as Jesus said. So here's a self-awareness. I want you to unpack it for us for just a moment. It's out of Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Those are interesting descriptors, aren't they? Who really knows how bad it is? I mean, think about it. It's the pushing. It's the shoving. It's the hoarding. It's the keeping. It's all about me. But unless you are self-aware of that in your heart, and only God, I think, can really, you know, reveal that to you, right? We become greedy individuals. Oh, absolutely. And uses very strong language, at least in our ears. But this is because he's trying to point out something, how the human heart is bent on its own. It's going to try and survive. It's Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it will fight for every inch of whatever it can get. We might say, well, you don't know my heart. Truth be told, I don't mm-hmm. know my own heart. Yeah, right. And uh, what, what reveals my heart, Larry, says in scripture is what comes out of my mouth, not those prepared speeches, but those subconscious flow of thoughts and words that come together and those things I say, like I, I caught myself one time saying, you know, something happened and I go, I hate this. And where did the word hate come from suddenly? Mm-hmm. Because there's this area of my life that obviously I didn't like, and it got to the point where I would actually use the word hate subconsciously. So out of the abundance of our heart, it says, our mouth speaks. Found that many times for myself. Also our actions. What is it that we do? Our theology isn't what we say. That's our theory. What we actually do is our theology. It's what we practice in life. And I think so often, Larry, we are wicked of heart We've, we've given a heart to Christ, and he's sanctified it, but we keep defaulting back to what we used to do. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of this. When I first got married, you know, my wife and I were, you know, growing in our relationship, and she goes, I thought you, we were married. I said, well, we are. She goes, well, then how come you always use the word I and my and not we and us? You see, Larry, my language had not caught up with my reality. Right. I was married, but I was talking like a single person. So often, that's what we do as the believer. We are saved, and yet our heart acts like we're still owning ourselves. You know, that self-awareness thought is really what you're defining there. You're becoming self-aware of your own actions, your own words, your own thinking, your own theology. And Jeremiah is right. The human heart is most deceitful of all things, not just a few, but all things. It's so deceptive. So becoming self-aware of our condition before God is critical. That's where we start because you don't and cannot in your own self judge yourself. God is our judge and his word judges us and gives us the right perspective that probably can change our hearts if we give into it. Yet there's a lot of Christians, Sean, that would say amen to what we're saying today, yet somehow they go to church, they have a Christian testimony to some degree, but their desires never change. They still have the desire to somewhat be culturally relevant and and fit in with the culture, and sometimes behavior is anti-God or Mm -hmm. anti-Scripture. So what's going on there? This is going to be a little bit long answer, I'll try to be succinct. I think we lack the fear of the Lord. 
And I think it's lacking in our message from the very get-go. So what I mean by that is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. It also says to fear the Lord is to turn away from evil. Mm-hmm. So when we fear the Lord, we, we automatically begin to despise evil. I think most people, they get a message of the gospel that doesn't deal with sin on the front end very well. And so they kind of get drawn by attraction. And then what happens is then now we're asking them to grow, to become circumcised of the heart. In other words, cut the flesh away. But they've already been, in a sense, discipled, Larry, in the easy believism. So now we're asking them to climb a very steep climb that they're not climatized towards. Hmm. But if we start the gospel with the repentance and talking about sin for what sin is, not redefining and saying, oh, you're hurt. If it's hurt, you're actually being bitter. We mm-hmm. need to call it what it is, not mm-hmm. redefine bitterness as hurt or, or some other thing. We need to call sin what it is. And this is very hard on our ears today because the culture is not used to this. But I'm going to tell you this, it's much easier to start with a strong conviction than it is to start with a soft conviction and try to do an uphill climb. And Ezekiel bears this out. Ezekiel 44, I, w- I had this scripture pulled up. And he's talking to Israel, which would be synonymous to talking to believers today. He's not talking to the ungodly. He's talking to the ones that supposedly are in his covenant. And he says, the Lord said to me, son of man, mark well. See with your eyes, hear with your ears, all that I say to you concerning all the statutes of the house of the Lord and concerning all its laws. Mark well the entrance of the house with all the exits of the sanctuary. So he's making a point, he said, and goes on to talk about it, but I'll just make this quick point. He's saying, make sure it's clear. Make sure that how people enter God's temple and his holy place, his presence, and any way that they might exit, it's clear. The exit signs are clear. The entrance signs are clear. It's not something that's fuzzy. We've made a fuzzy gospel. Mm. And I think what's happened here, Larry, is we don't fear the Lord. We don't even talk about it anymore. And as a result, people come into Christ and we have a people that are discipled into passivity discipled into fleshly lives where they haven't really experienced the circumcision of the heart, which was always circumcision was done the eighth day. It was done early. We don't do that until maybe 20 years later we talk about it. And we and I do believe that that's had a huge impact on our effectiveness as disciples and on the gospel. I'm not saying people aren't saved. I'm just saying that they aren't well converted. Wow, that's really rich, Sean. I, I don't know what to say after that other than the fact that I'll have to go back to Ezekiel 44 and study that. But I like clarity because that's, you know, that's how we understand is once things are clear. There's also something very clear in scripture, and that is that the cross is the center of God's heart. And that's what uh, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. He's saying that the gospel or the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. Yeah. And you can't get any better than that. And when you talk about sin, that's what the cross took care of. Yeah. If we believe in what Jesus did. Now, there's another principle, I think, that uh, the Old Testament talks about. Jeremiah, again, he says in 29:13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Help us understand that particular appetite, because we've been talking about appetites at this point yep. to look for happiness and to, yep. to find happiness through our appetites. Mm-hmm. But here he's saying, if you seek me and you search for me, you will find me. That's an appetite. Unpack Absolutely. It. Well, Jeremiah brings it out, and we, of course, we see it in Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, where he talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, with your strength, and Jesus reiterated that. Mm-hmm. We see that this, 
this, the gospel's filled with these kind of references. And Jeremiah's bringing it out because we are so often, in James, he might call it double-mindedness, we're half-hearted in so many things. We're not committed to our direction. We're like, and the society bears it out. People invite our, our youth. I've heard this said many times about our youth. They will not want to commit to any one invitation. They want to see which one's the best. And then at the last minute, they'll commit to the one they like the most. They might have three or four invitations to do something, but they want to see you know, which one's the best. And I, I think that's not just youth. I think it's just, it comes out in youth because they're more social media active. But I think that's human nature. We always want what's going to benefit us the most, not what is the most good, what's going to benefit us the most. We vote that way. Who's going to save me tax money? Mm-hmm. You know, these kind of things. When he says all of our heart, he's saying this, in my opinion, he's saying, I want your priorities to no longer be your own. I want my priorities, my God-centered priorities to be what you completely embrace. And that's not easy. That's not an easy thing because it's a giving up. It's a giving up of ourself. And there's a trust, goes back to what I said earlier, we have to trust him that he'll replace it with something even better than what we gave up. But we don't trust him typically, and so we go half-hearted into this, mm-hmm. and we become, you know, in many ways, somebody that we could be five-talent believers, we become the one-talent believer who buries it. We, we bury our potential all the time. You know, there is one evil in the world that's within the church that I think we fail to address from time to time, and we don't have a lot of time today to unpack this, so I'll have to have you back, but I would like to wet the whistle mm-hmm. or the uh, the thoughts of people listening today. Wet the today. appetite, since we're talking about appetite. <laughs> Here's a little appetizer. I think that when you talk about seeking and searching for the Lord with all your heart, there is not a place there that you can insert a pastor's name or an evangelist's yeah. name or a prophet's name or a whatever mm-hmm. name. The fact is that we have in our culture, we have made leaders or leadership sort of that place where we seek the leaders or the leadership of a group as in the same way we should be searching for the Lord because he doesn't say seek my people or my leaders you know return to me and seek my face not the face of some leader which is often the case in the modern church absolutely you make a great point words mean a lot to me I'm looking at this passage you know seek me with all your heart I'm thinking of a word pursuit Mm. When I think of pursuit, that's like this focused individual who's just without looking to the right or to the left. They're single-minded and they're moving towards a goal with mm-hmm. great sense of conviction versus a casual stroll. Somebody's casually strolling. I, that tells me something different. They're looking around. They're, they're distracted. God wants us to pursue him. And when you talk about leaders, we're not looking to follow leaders. We're looking to follow the God of those leaders. And you can see again, when I talk about phrases, how we so often say things, they reveal a lot. For example, we have love clever little phrases like prayer changes things. We give credit to prayer. No, it's God who changes them. Prayer is a tool in our toolbox, but it's ultimately the person of God. We don't relate with the religious institution as much as we relate with the God of that religion or the God of that faith. And that's what made heroes of the faith. They weren't looking to become personality cults. They were looking to draw people to Jesus. They were looking to draw people to God. And I think we need to do that too. And that's why it says they sought the face of God. They didn't just seek his path. They sought the very face of God. They wanted to know him. And they talk about him 
like he's personal. Yeah. They don't talk about him like he's an uh, like he's a faraway god. They talk about him almost like on a first name basis. Right. Well, Sean, our conversation has been very rich and involved, and I really appreciate it. Sometime in the near future, I'd like to have you back where we can talk about those phrases because I know you got a dozen of them or more, and I think we should unpack that just to help people understand how easy it is to slip in to this idea that we make God less than what he is, and we put people in place of where God should be. So our conversation has been rich today. I am so hungry. I have an appetite now, and I think you're taking me out to lunch. I think I am, and uh, we're going to enjoy that, I, I guess. Or maybe we should fast. What do you think, Larry? Well, I, <laughs> I, I know you love to fast between meals, but let's maybe uh, consider the alternative. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. This is the City Sites Podcast Network. 